Welcome to Stories of Terra. My name is Guy Black, or Raven Hood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller once again here to draw you into the vast world of Terra by Riot Games. The Riot Games community has crafted a phenomenal universe from which music molds the soul. Each week, we jump into the Riot Games universe and narrate something from the world of Terra off of the Riot Games universe site. Think of this as an audiobook of League stories and lore. This week is another fan request, and it is Sona, Maven of the Strings. For those of you looking for the second part of The Child of Zaun, I'll be releasing that as its own episode right after this one. And I guess now is time for my terrible impression. But the quote here is not of Sona's. It's about Sona. My spies whisper to me of this Ionian treasure that her melody moves the soul and her silence sunders the body. Jericho Swain. But for the ones out there who have been faithful one-shot players of her this entire time, or whatever it's called, one-trick ponies, only you can hear me, Summoner. Sona is a virtuoso of the stringed étoile, speaking only through her graceful chords and vibrant arias. Her genteel manner has endeared her to the Damasian nobility, though some spectate her arresting melodies actually emanate magic, a dangerous prospect in the kingdom. Silent to outsiders, but understood easily enough by close companions, Sona plucks her harmonies not only to soothe injured allies, but also to strike down unsuspecting enemies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sona's earliest memories are of the Ionian monastery where she was raised in the providence of Galdrin. The monks, along with kind-hearted volunteers from the local villages, took in any orphans or foundlings left at the front gates and made sure that they would want for nothing. As a young girl, Sona was considered shy and quiet, until it became apparent that she couldn't speak at all. But she was unusually thoughtful and attentive and the other children tended to seek her out whenever they needed comfort. Their playful smiles quickly restored, and Sona discovered other ways to express herself. Unlike her playmates, she had one possession when she first was found, a curiously stringed instrument packed into a plain wooden case. None of the visiting musicians or teachers knew what it was, though that did not stop several of them from attempting to procure it for themselves one way or another. Instead, Sona taught herself how to play it, and her simple, beautiful melodies moved even the most skeptical listeners to tears of joy. However, dark times were approaching. The foreign empire of Noxus had begun landing troops in the northern provinces, and the monks decided to evacuate their young charges to safety before the invasion reached Galrin. 
After their caretakers struck a deal with the Damasian trader, Sona and a handful of her friends found themselves bundled into one of the last ships to escape before the Noxian blockade of Ionia's western coast. She looked back in anguish, knowing that she would not be able to return for many years, if at all. After months at sea, they arrived in Damasia, a strange, dour land where magic was widely distrusted. Their monks were called Illuminators, and they worshipped no gods or spirits, yet still placed great value in showing kindness to strangers and the needy. So it was that Sona was taken in by the Bouvel family. Lord Barrett and his wife, Lestarda, were prominent supporters of the Illuminator Order and renowned patrons of the arts of the great city. Sona became like a sister to their daughter, Kahina, and Lestara, in particular, grew very attached to her. The Damasian language was often difficult to learn, but the Bavels developed a personalized sign language that enabled Sona to communicate easily with her new family and their friends. Yet, she yearned to express so much more, to show her appreciation to her adopted countrymen. She decided to use her gifts to delight and soothe them, and returned her music with renewed passion. Soon, word spread of her virtuoso talents. Her performance captivated audiences, bringing them from sorrow to bliss, from righteous martial pride to almost exquisite peace. And Lestara became intrigued by the mysterious instrument that made this possible. Delving deep into the libraries of the Illuminators, she came to believe it was one of the fabled etoiles, wondrous artifacts dating back thousands of years before Damasia's founding, and now exceedingly rare in the world. And, if that were true, then this was an object of magic, and Sona's preternatural connection to it was a dangerous gift indeed. Lestara urged her to keep it secret, to avoid bringing unwanted attention from the Damasian mage-seekers. Sona obeyed though she wondered how something that brought people peace could be seen as a threat. Some years later, Lord Barrett Bavel was slain fighting Noxus at the Gapes of Mourning. When Kahina took up her father's blade and military commission, the heartbroken Lestara decided the time had come for Sona re to return to Ionia, and the two of them withdrew from all courtly engagements to make the journey together. In the war's aftermath, a great restoration was underway across the first lands, but the people were much changed by what they had endured, and Sona realized there was no longer any place for her there. Saying farewell to Ionia once again, she went back to Damasia with, with Lestara. Even so, her chosen homeland is not without its own problems. In the wake of King Jarvan III's assassination, the mage seekers have gained significant power and many innocent citizens are persecuted for any supposed connection to magic. As a child of two wildly different cultures, Sona increasingly finds herself at odds with her family's political allegiances. With Etoile in hand, her melodies now serve not only to provide comfort, but also to defend what she knows is right and just. Today's story is entitled One Last Show, and it is by Katie Kyronis. That old familiar smell hit her first, 
hay, strawberries, and sturdy wood. The courtyard of the Argentine Inn had a particular waft to it that brought the ache of memories long past. A hundred concerts, a thousand faces lit by lantern light, and most painful of all, a time when things were simpler and happier in Demacia. But these days, that vision of her home country felt distant, worlds away when she first spotted her old friend Etra emerging from the doorway of the inn, her breath hitched. Maybe this too was different. But Etra's eyes went wide. She shrieked with joy as she ran forward to wrap Sona up in her arms. Sona breathed a little sigh of relief. Some things didn't change after all. You got my letter, Etra said and squeezed her tight. Sona nodded. As Etra released her, she stood back to get a good look, still clasping Sona's hands. Someone's been traveling, she said, impressed. As if noticing Sona was on edge, Etra paused, released her hands, and slipped into the rough sign language they'd forged over a lifetime. All is well? It was a relief to be able to sign back, to be understood by someone who loved her. Yes, of course, Sona responded, whether it was true or not. Missed you terribly, though. She held her hands a little lower, didn't want passerbys to see the sharp gestures, the twitching fingers, and draw the wrong conclusions. How long will you stay this time? As long as I can, Sona sighed. You know, I never could refuse an empty stage. Etra grinned. Excellent. There was no audience around sunset. Winsona struck her first chord, but the first few folks trickled in right away. She was standing in front and center in the Argentines' concert hall, a converted barn with a bit of raised wood at the front to make a stage. Some of the people she could see were familiar faces. They brought their evening plans with them, wine by the flagon, cheese in its cloth. Sona had set her etoile center stage. The burnished gold on the front was freshly polished, gleaming. It sat on its little frame, the one she had brought for Damasian performances only. To Sona's right, a man named Kal uh, kept beat on the inn's goatskin drums. Etra's voice joined her on the left after a moment, high and clear and smooth like water. As they settled into their familiar rhythm, the crowd swelled. Wagons were pulled up beyond the open door of the stage hall now. Horses tied to posts. Some of the men had started to sing along loudly. They were drunk faster than usual. Sona smirked over at Etra, and she signed back with one hand. They missed you, too. Things were tense for the folks right now. They'd just lost their king and seen their country turn on itself in a single bloody year. And, as if to punctuate Sona's thoughts... Four figures slipped into the back row of the audience. Hoods pulled loose over their faces. Dark blue fabric. Not terribly suspicious on its own, but... One of them tilted their head up at Sona, and she saw the hint of a gold mask glinting in the light. Mage Seekers. Sona's stomach lurched. She heard the slightest hitch in Etra's voice, too, but neither of them dared look at each other right now. The only answer was to keep performing, keep singing, and hopefully keep up appearances. The next song in the set was a solo, 
Etra and Cal slipped backstage. This was the moment the crowd had really come for, and there were small murmurs and comfortable rustles of the audience as people settled in. There was no name for the Pierce, but they all knew it regardless. It was Sona's own creation, and she relaxed into it. Her fingers brushed the strings, the air teemed with silence, and then, with the pick of a single note, they were off. Her fingers danced like fireflies. The song flowed, built, faded, and built again. But then something evolved in the music. There were additional layers to it, notes that should have been impossible to play simultaneously. Sona looked up and saw only smiles and closed eyes. The audience had become enamored, absorbed. It was time. The etoile had awoken. Long, twisting illusions rose up from the string, stretching and snapping as the very air hummed. To her, they were brilliant, a language she and the instrument alone shared. No one else could see them. The etoile had chosen someone. An old woman in the back of the room was thinking of her husband a farmer, and the instrument had become throaty with the full warmth and bass of his voice. Sona could almost hear him talk, and in the shapes that rapidly shifted before her, she saw the outline of his weathered face and the way his cheeks crinkled when he smiled. But the outline morphed, the fuzzy curve of a sleeping figure. He had fallen ill and passed a month ago. A hard harvest without him, no doubt. The etoile hummed something private to Sona then, the last rasping song the man had ever sung to his wife. The notes hung in the air. She took the snatched phrases of the melody, and without even having to pause, she wove it back into the song, building around it. When she glanced up, Sona saw the widow's eyebrows raised with recognition, tears trailing down the woman's cheeks. Sona slipped music into the woman's heart, music to warm her, music to soothe her, music to give her strength to face the year ahead. The music had reached a crescendo now. She and the etoile were deep in conversation. The shapes had expanded, brilliant and ever-moving, an aurora stretching across the hall. A shout shattered the song. She halted, frozen, but the shapes still drifted, no longer a secret between her and the instrument. She'd lost control. The mage seekers in the back had risen, making their way down the center aisle. They were coming for her. Some threw their hoods back now. The rest of the audience was still transfixed, unseeing. They hadn't yet registered what was happening. Sona took two steps back towards the archway that led out to the back of the barn. Stop! One of the matrix seekers cried. They were undeniably here for her. She bolted, hefting her skirts in one hand. The etoile shuddered, broke free of its stand, and drifted after her through the air. Why hide it any more? She emerged out back and into the darkness. There was an alley back there. She could flee into the woods before they spotted her. But as she reached the end of the alley, two seekers stepped into her path. She pulled up short and turned around. Maybe... No... Three more blocked her way into the inn's door. She was trapped. If you don't resist, one of them started, but she saw the flash of Damasian steel in his hand, and she heard nothing else. Behind her, footsteps. They were closing in. She backed up against the wall of the inn. All five of them were now standing in front of her. She laid her fingers on the etoile. 
I hope Etra ran, she thought. The etoile glowed. She struck a violent burst of music. The cord shot forth from her and slammed into the seekers. The air was charged gold, sickeningly radiant. They turned away from her. She heard their groans, their broken screams, and knew it was over. They were dancing. All of them. They cut an eerie light to anyone who might see. Contorted, twisting figures bent against their will like puppets made to perform. It was painful. She knew that much. But she had to make them hurt. She had to make the pain the only thing they could remember. That way they couldn't remember Etra. They couldn't come for her. For pity's sake, mercy! My arm! At first they begged her to stop, but after a moment, even that died away, and there was nothing but gurgling. The shuffle of footsteps, the creaking and snapping of joints. I didn't want to hurt you, she thought. I never do, but but you, you're the reason home isn't home anymore. One last beat, one final encore. She strummed. The chord reached them, deep violet. They dropped to the floor instantly like discarded toys, unconscious and forgetful. And Sona disappeared into the silence of the woods. Oh, there's, that's agonizing to have something beautiful that you have become your downfall and twist something as beautiful as what music can be into something of pain. Uh, that is difficult. But what I do love about this story is the profound power of music that we encounter. I would say there are few things in this world that cross a threshold between what science and like that can tell us and what we might call the spiritual or or um, mystical realm. There's something, there are a lot of things I, I personally believe science can't tell us about the full nature of the world. And music is one of these fascinating areas where we get a glimpse into something possibly greater than ourselves. So anyway... Sona, another fan request. Thank you again for everyone that's following along. The last month has seen a ton of y'all join in here into our little, maybe it's not as much as the community, but group of y'all that listen in. It's a delight to have you along. Thank you so much for listening. If there's a champion you would be interested in hearing, I've got a few more fan requests in the uh, mix. I know I've got Yi coming up soon. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and share ones that you're interested in at Ravenhood on TikTok, Instagram, uh, and Twitter. You can also just email me at uh, storiesoverunterrapodcast at gmail.com. All of those are viable. Thanks again. It's late. Thanks again for all of you that are listening and have a great night. <laughs>